right, welcome to today's webinar. I am Mark Raven from Kinexus, and I'm very happy that we're gonna have a presentation by Taryn Davis called Burn Your Ships, Generating Momentum for Sustained Change. So let me introduce our presenter, tell you a little bit about Taryn Davis. She holds a Master's of Library and Information Science degree from the University of Denver, and she has uh, a background in um, improvement and organizational development. She's a thought pioneer in organizational excellence and seeks to bring people into a space where work is workable for all employees, from the upper echelons of the C-suite to the line workers on the shop floor. Her passion is engineering processes and products that serve the well-being of the people responsible for and to them. And so with that, um, Taryn, thank you for joining us, and I will turn things over to you. Great. Thank you, Mark. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I do want to reiterate, um, you're going to need two things today. We're going to be interactive, as Mark said. Please make sure that you have a pen and you have a piece of paper or writing implement of some kind. Um, and it, you will ha get more out of this if you do participate in the activities, and it is intended to be for you. So please do that. And then also, I just want to reiterate, Please ask questions as we go so we can have them all at the end. And then um, we'll be doing two activities. So you're gonna have two opportunities to participate. And I know that sometimes maybe it's a little bit weird on a webinar, but again, this is for you. And so I would love to be able to have you participate in that way. Okay, so getting started, um, we're gonna hang out here on the title slide for a second because I want to kind of get into the dirt about what we're actually talking about today. So as you know, burn your ships, we're going to go into that later. What I really want to talk about is what is sustained change. We are in improvement. We're in development. We're in leadership. We're in a lot of different places that really are using those words all the time. So I want you to know what I'm talking about and us to be on the same page. So when I talk about sustained, what I mean is something that is ongoing. It's maintained. You don't lose the progress over time. And literally, the dictionary <laughs> defines this word as supported. So, and then change we know is transform, convert, become different. And what I really want to point out here is that the concept of sustained change is in fact the same as transition and the difference between change and transition, change being a moment in time where something happens, and then transition being the period of adjustment resulting from that moment in time. So keeping that in mind, um, please take that into the space as we go forward. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Um, digging in more into this concept of sustained change, you see before you a picture of a house. And so what I want to do is kind of give you an anecdote relating to the concept of a foundation. So there you go. When you build a house, if anyone's built a house, you always start with a foundation. And you have to do that because the foundation is the most important part of the house. Um, and it's the part that you don't really see. But when you have a problem in the foundation, you start to see in other parts of the house. And so my parents actually built a house a few years ago, and after it was completed and everything, I went over there, and I noticed a crack in the foundation. I was in the basement, and I noticed a crack. And I showed it to my mom, and I was like, isn't this a problem? And she was like, oh, well, you know, we talked to the contractor. It's just because the house settled, and it shouldn't be an issue. Well, about five or seven years later, they had a deck on the top, like on the second story, and they had stairs going down to the ground. And guess what happened? <laughs> the stairs completely separated from the house because of the shifting resulted in the crack in the foundation. So 
Case in point, the anecdote is intended to demonstrate that if you have any problem in your foundation, it will impact the entire structure. And so what we're talking about is really how do you bring in continuous improvement and sustain change into this foundation, even if it wasn't there at the outset, right? So let's do a bit of a reality check. So most likely in your organization or whatever you're doing, CI wasn't built into the business foundation. And the reason is because when you start a business, you're really not looking at, okay, how are we going to do this in the best way? What makes the most sense? You are, you're just kind of running an experiment to see if you can get the thing off the ground. And then the concept of continuous improvement comes in later. And then you kind of discover, oh, well, we were doing this in a really inefficient way. Um, we need to kind of fix that. And then that's where continuous improvement comes in. So in order to have a sustained CI experience, you have to bring in improvement as a lifestyle and it has to be embedded into the foundation of the company. So hopefully, if you're with me, you're asking yourselves, how do you address this problem? Because if it was in the foundation and we went through that whole analogy of the business as a house, like you can't just go and kind of add some bricks to the foundation, it's already laid. What's really great about businesses is that they are both, um, stable, but they're also very malleable. So what's cool about CI is you can bring this into the foundation and that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you bring this into the foundation? Okay. So to do this, we're going to talk about two groups of people. The first group is you and the second will be everyone else. So if you can do me a favor and kind of make that mental space in your, in your head and say, okay, we're talking about me first and we're talking about everybody else later. So I don't want you pointing any figures right now. I want you to be thinking about you because you are one of, if not the only CI champion or visionary or hardcore change leader in your organization. And that's really important to acknowledge because that means that you, whether you like it or not, are responsible for leading this shift and bringing this into the foundation of the company. And so, um, as you know, leadership always starts with examining yourself first because people can't follow you anywhere that you are unwilling to go. I will repeat that. No one can follow you someplace that you are not willing to go yourself. So that's where this whole concept of Hernan Cortez comes in. I know um, if any of you listen to the podcast preview, you already kind of know some details about this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell the story. Um, so if you know about Hernan Cortez, he was a Spanish conquistador who came to the shores of Mexico in 1519, and he landed in Veracruz with his men. They had an outpost, uh, the, Span the Spanish had an outpost in Cuba. And so they were kind of trying to take over some of the land in Central and South America because there was in fact a land grab happening um, with amongst all the European powers at the time. And a lot of it had to do with gold. I'm sure you're all thinking about Pocahontas and John Smith. That was further north. So we're talking about Central America right now in the Spanish. Um, but so they landed and then they got there and they were like, oh my God, it's humid. There's insects. We don't know what we're doing. There's natives. This is a lot more than we bargained for. And we don't really want to be here anymore. And so um, at that time, Cortez knew that if they left and they didn't continue on in their mission, which was to gain the territory for the Spanish crown, he and all his men would be giving up, number one. And number two, he definitely had a personal interest in you know, making a name for himself, kind of building his own enterprise. Um, and so he did something very drastic. And I will say there is a caveat to the story. Most of the written records we have about Cortez um, came onto the scene about 200 years after he died. So 
there's some pushback about like if this actually happened or how it happened. But the point, I think the point of the story still stands. Um, and so he, what he did is he didn't just go and burn the ships himself. He went to his men and he said, look, guys, we have something to do. And who's with me? How are we going to do this? And so he actually brought them into this this thought place with him, into this mentality. And they all burnt the ships together and they left one ship standing. Everything else was burned. So you can imagine how dramatic that was. And, and hopefully you're looking at this picture and you're kind of imagining that you're standing there on the shores of Veracruz watching your only retreat burn. <laughs> you can imagine how that would really require a shift in your mentality. And so um, Cortez eventually overthrew the Aztec emperor and won Mexico for the Spanish crown. But what I want to pose before you is what would have happened if instead of burning the ships, he'd said, you know what, you guys, you're right. This, this is so much more than I really intended to lead us into. I just, I'm not feeling it. And let's, let's get back on the ships. Let's go back to Cuba. Um, and I want to demonstrate what I want to kind of, really hone in on here is as a leader, Cortez, for all of his faults, and he's not a great man, historically speaking, in the sense of like kindness and generosity and whatever. I'm not saying go be like him. What I am saying is he demonstrated a full on commitment to the desired change he wanted to see. He was committed and he brought his men into a space of being committed to that same vision. And so then that's what we're talking about today, a bringing CI into the foundation of a culture and that it does take a lot of commitment. Okay, so I will say this does not mean go home and burn <laughs> your computers and your desks and your buildings. Please don't get off this webinar and <laughs> set fire to everything. That's not the point. Um, it does mean, and this is what we're going to look at, don't be afraid to take the risk that's in front of you to take. And so um, how I want to get into this is consider some ships. So what is a ship today? Obviously, we know what a ship looked like for Cortez and his men. It was very concrete. It was obviously like a tangible ship in front of them. So we're going to kind of take that analogy and talk about what it is. And it is what anything that makes you feel safe, anything you feel entitled to, and anything that feels risky to confront or change. And so coupled with this, I want to give you this quote by Charles Kettering, who is an American inventor. He said, if you have always done it that way, it's probably wrong, which I love because it really kind of taps into, I think, what we as professionals in this industry love about what we do. We're like, this is this is not working the way that it needs to work or it could be could work so much better. It could be so much more efficient. So we'll talk more about that later. Um, but what I want to point out is that like Cortez, we often find ourselves in positions where people are tired, hungry, afraid, and they're very close to giving up. They've really had enough um, or they've already given up and they're just kind of going along with status quo. Um, and so our question is, how do we corral all of that energy and channel it towards something that is that we can actually change, we can actually accomplish, which goes back to bringing this into the foundation of the company? Um so here is some examples for you from my own life, my own professional experience, some ships that I've burned. Because again, like I don't think I can talk to you about this if I can't give you exact examples of how I've done this myself. So number one, my predictable schedule. So when I came into CI um, at the outset of my career in the industry, I had come from um, running, a, doing three jobs and I'd been working like 80 hour weeks. It was insane. 
And I came into the role as CI manager and I was like, finally, I get to work nine to five. And I was thrilled. And um, I was going to get to have my evenings back and get to come to work at a normal time. And then turned out we had to do some katas and um, Kaizen events on a few really critical processes. So um, we were working on changeover CIP, which is clean in place of our entire pro- of our entire um, product um, creation system and then startup. So we were working on those three things simultaneously. And I was like, I can't, I cannot effectively bring the CIP into a different place, for example. So that was taking us eight and a half hours to complete. It should have taken four. Startup was taking three hours. It should have taken an hour and a half. And changeover was all over the board. So I committed to coming in whenever CIP was happening, day or night. We ran a 24-5 facility. So I was often there at 1 a.m. getting ready with the crew to run their CIP and observe it with them and kind of see how we could institute the improvements we wanted to make. Um, startup, I was coming in at 3 a.m. once a week for about two months to do that as well. And what was cool about this is when I decided that I was not entitled to that nine to five schedule and I didn't need to have that in order to um, kind of live my life the way I wanted to live it, I got buy-in from the team. I earned respect from them as a leader. And then I also gained really intense and incredible understanding of the processes we were looking at. And so obviously this was in manufacturing. Um, and when you're, when you're dealing with that, this might seem a little bit esoteric for those of you who aren't in that industry. But the point I want you to take away from this ship is that I chose to put down my entitlement to that. And it meant that I was able to have freedom and latitude to go and look at things that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And that changed everything culturally with the team and even with my own work and how I approached it. So the next one, my reputation as a professional, I had suggested that we needed to en- engineer a, a full-scale training program for the entire operation, which then also meant that we needed to bring it into the entire company because there were cultural aspects of that that needed to be addressed. And um, my fear was that management wouldn't support the need for a cohesive training program. They would be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't been doing this for long enough. We don't believe you. Um and I was like, I still have to propose it. And then I have to follow it through because I know that this is this is what's going to help us move into that place of sustained change, right? So um, the result was that the, it was embraced in part of the company, not, not company-wide, which meant that it was stronger in certain places than others. And that was also where I kind of had to let go of my control of it and what I wanted it to look like. So then finally... Um, existing culture. And so what I want to point out here is these first two ships that I burnt, those were mine to burn. Me as an individual, I had the power and the decision-making authority to make those choices for myself. Existing culture is a little bit different. Um, You can't decide to burn this on your own. Okay. You have to, you have got to go and start to get your team behind you. And then that's where part two of this talk comes in, where we're going to talk about everybody else. But I wanted to put it up here because I had to be able to look at it and say, you know what, like, I think that there's room to burn this. And how would I go about bringing other people into this space? How would I bring them into um, being willing to take this risk? So the result of that was, so the gamble was into the entire organization would be ready to shift. Um, And the result was that, again, we got some success in some places, but not across the board. And the other thing I want to point out to you guys is that 
these examples are so normal, like having success in some places, but not everywhere is so normal. And I really want to encourage you, if you're looking at your own career and you're looking at where you've maybe already burnt some ships or where you kind of want to, it is perfectly reasonable to have success here, but not there. And I really encourage you, and please write this down if you're encouraged by it, do not scoff at small beginnings because everything starts somewhere. And if you if you start somewhere and it's very small, but then you're like, oh gosh, I didn't get what I wanted. You are more likely to discourage yourself and other people by doing that than you are to keep going. So that brings us to our first activity where we're going to look at your ships. So what I want you to do, I'm going to give you 90 seconds um, to write down the biggest challenges you faced in the last year. So this might be, you could be looking at 2018, you could be looking at the rolling calendar. So um, last August to this August, whatever that time period looks like for you, the biggest challenges um, starting now, 90 seconds on the clock. Okay, so that's 90 seconds for that. Um, yeah, and sorry, I haven't done this on a webinar before, so I didn't know what it was no, like, but um, next, I would like you to look at 90 seconds to look at the biggest challenges you face today. So this is when you go to work today, the thing that is staring you in the face, this could be one thing, it could be five things, what are those things? Ready, get set, and 90 seconds on the clock. Okay, great. Time's up for that. All right. And so finally, and I really appreciate you guys doing this. Um, I find that it helps us to kind of get into the space of how this is personal. Finally, identify a ship in each scenario. So what I mean is go back and look at those challenges that you identified and you can look at all of them. If, if this is hard to do, you can do a couple, but think about something that either you, in the last year you see that you burned and you, you really like you, you laid that down in order to succeed in that challenge last year or in the challenges this year, what is the thing that you could kind of put up to burn and have some success? Like what are the things that might be standing in the way of success with those challenges, okay? And so we'll go ahead and have put 90 seconds on the clock. Get ready, set, go. Okay, and so at this point, so we've got about five seconds left, but if you've got any challenges and then the ships correlated that you'd like to share, um, please put those in the chat box. And so 90 seconds is up now. So if anyone is willing to share a challenge that they faced in a ship they identified there, please send it over to Mark. And again, if you'd like to do that, please enter that into the chat box on the GoToWebinar control panel. Give it. You can put, I'll put myself on the spot. So okay. one of the biggest challenges I faced in the last year um, was was launching a new book. Um, I think one of the ships in that scenario was trying to leave behind a perception of, um, well, I think there's two things. One as, oh, well, you know, he, he's a lean person because mm -hmm. um, my, my latest book, Measures of Success, is um, a little broader than that. And then another ship was being known as um, a healthcare person, which mm -hmm. is, in a way good, but writing a book that wasn't strictly healthcare focused, um, I think created some risk of, um, I mean, I think, I think that counts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you come, you were like, okay, this is who I used to be uh, and this is where <laughs> I want to move into. Yeah. Um, we did get one other response here, um, from Carrie starting a new job and coaching a senior leadership team. I have CI experience, but not in coaching an SLT. 
Um, Douglas says, I'm continually challenged trying to match my idea of value with that of my managers and stakeholders. So obviously my assumptions about what's valuable implicitly to me is a ship that I could burn. Wow, that's really fantastic. Those are both really great. Um, and I love that, Douglas, what you said about my assumptions of value and how they how they interact with other people's assumptions of value. That's very insightful. And I think something that we all kind of have to look at periodically when we're working in a team. Um, okay, great. Thank you so much for participating in that. So the next thing we're going to do, I want to kind of walk through some players in um, this, this environment that we engage in. So the, I'm going to give you three words. And then what I want you to do is at like whatever comes to mind, if you'd be willing to put that, send that over the same way in the chat to Mark, that would be great. Um, I'm going to kind of give us not very much time in between the words because I want to keep kind of moving along here, but I would love to hear what comes to your minds when you hear these. So the first word is change. What words come to mind when you hear this word? We're getting replies here. Resistance, resistance, improve, possibilities, resistance, people freak out, loss, <laughs> opportunity, champion. Excellent. Okay. Awesome. Great. Great job, everybody. So the word I want to give you is ally. So change is your biggest ally. And some of you did kind of tap on this a little bit in terms of opportunity um, and words around there. But we often look at change and we're like, this is going to be really hard and I'm not going to like it. But if we could kind of shift our mind to say, oh, wait a second, change is my best friend. How do I capitalize on this? And we'll go into that more later. Okay, the next one I'm going to give you is problems. So what comes to mind when you hear this word? Fix them. Opportunities. Opportunity. Opportunity. Complaints. Nice. Okay, What's sorry. on the menu today? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I love that last one. What's on the menu today? Because you're um, like, yep. Go ahead. We got we got a few more. Sorry, solutions, organizations, challenges. Awesome. Organizations and challenges. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to give you another word. Those are all really fantastic. The word I'm going to give you is inspiration. Um, and so especially that what's on the menu today. I love that because what that tells me is like you're in an organization, and I, this goes for everyone at various points in time. That's why I love it so much where you're like, okay, I don't even know what's gonna be coming at me today. But what if you were able to look at those problems and say, this is an opportunity to be inspired. And so a lot of people also set opportunities, um, solutions. And so that's totally online with inspiration. And when I look at a problem, I'm like, okay, this isn't just something I have to get through or something that's inconvenient to me. This is something that can help me um, move into a new frame of mind that I couldn't enter into if I wasn't dealing with this very specific problem. I like to think about it as like if I was an artist and if I was painting, um, I come into that problem and it starts to become actually like the, the colors of paint I get to use to paint this painting. Okay. And so finally, fear. What comes to mind when you hear this word? Unknown. Focus. Okay. Overcome. Conquer, rigid, mm -hmm. lack of understanding. Okay. Okay. Great. I think that's it. Awesome. Okay. And so this is this this subject. Fear is your only enemy. This is the only thing can that can hinder you, that can stop you from going where you're trying to get where you're trying to go. Um, for us people in our industry, it tends to be fear of failure, fear of not getting the backing or support we need. 
fear that our management won't get it, fear that people won't fall into step beside us. A lot of our fears have to do with um, what we're doing with other people, which is why we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But what I want you to consider is for you, we're not going to do this together, but I want you to maybe write this down is take a minute after the webinar is finished to consider what fear you see in your own landscape. So what this means is like when you look at where you're at, what are the fears that you see that um, are hindering you from moving forward? And that might tie back to the ships that you could burn. You know, like Douglas said, his assumptions of value, like why are you afraid of letting that go? What might be the fear that's keeping you from moving forward into this new space of um, really looking at problems as inspiration or looking at change as your ally? So with that, um, I want to just kind of run through the concept of change and I just I'm do I know we all know what we're talking about but I want to like really nail this in the coffin changes anything anytime anything anywhere with anyone is different than it was seconds minutes hours or any time period prior and I say this because as humans we all fall prey to being afraid of change what I want to point out is that continuous improvement this mindset this lifestyle this foundational decision we're making is the industry of capitalizing on change this thing that everyone is terrified of. So when we look at that, we know that we can't effectively capitalize on change without working with the change and engaging with intentional transition management, which is why at the beginning, I really talked about the difference between change and transition. Okay, and then so I want to talk about adversity because change and adversity go hand in hand. And so this goes back to this whole concept of invention. As continuous improvement professionals and people who are interested in this mindset, we are constantly looking at what is and finding a way to make what will be a reality. And I want you to look at yourself and acknowledge that you are such a unique person because you're looking at the thing that exists and you're saying, how do we make what we what we want to exist real? How do we make that transition? That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of intentional um, action with yourself and with other people. And it takes just a lot of tenacity. So just giving you some, some props here. Um, obstacles, bad attitudes, people who don't understand, lack of urgency, all of these things are part of the environment. And so this goes back to looking at the thing that you might be afraid of in the landscape. Because they're going to exist. And ultimately, it's good that they do. Because these are the things that give us the opportunities for meaningful change that we crave. If these things didn't exist, we would not get the opportunity of looking at what is and finding a way to make it be, make what will be a reality. Okay, so that said, it's still hard. Sometimes it's terrifying. And whoever wanted to be in a harbor of burning ships, I mean, I'm not going to put that picture back up, but I want you to call that to mind. It's scary. And it's really intense. And you don't know where you're going to go when you're looking at a the harbor of burning ships. So that said, this is where I want to kind of say, okay, we've looked at you and now I want to look at everyone else. And this is also really critical because once you understand yourself and how you interact with this, you can start to look at um, other people and how you're bringing people into this space of taking risks in a safe kind of secure way. Um, so you can't move into this without first addressing yourself. So if you were kind of checked out in that first section or you're just getting into it now, please go back and look there because, like I said, you can't lead anyone a place you're not willing to go yourself. Um, so this is really a practical execution of how to bring people into this concept of sustained CI experience into like how do this is really how we're bringing CI into the foundation of the company where everyone else is concerned. So there's five pieces of information 
They are in order and they do build on each other. So if you're looking to slides, please don't cheat. Um, and like I said, they really require that you're grounded on your own understanding of the foundation of the company, where you stand, and then your own attitudes and perceptions. So the first one I'm going to give you is, first of all, gain partisanship. And what I mean by this is asking, looking, going into your environment and saying, okay, who is like-minded? Who do I have walking with me? When I'm in meetings, who is the person who's kind of an early adopter? Who is the person who has ideas? Who is the person who's got some energy that's really ready to pull towards this thing that we're trying to execute? Um, and the way that you gain partisanship, if you're if you're not familiar with this, and it's funny, um, when I was kind of putting this together, I was like, is partisanship the right word to use? And mm. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it really kind of has a military connotation to it, which I thought was really funny. Um, and I chose to use it because the concept of a partisan it can be kind of negative, but I wanted to kind of reframe it here in this talk for gathering a group of people who are like-minded and are pulling towards something that really matters. So you're pulling towards something that is powerful. It's meaningful. Everyone is bought in. And I don't mean bought in like you've manipulated them to agree or they're making more money because they agree with you or whatever, but because they know that this is so critical to the well-being and the health of the company that they're, they're just, they're like, yes, we're on board. And you are not so much like, this is not a top down kind of interaction. This is a group of people who all have a unique role. So you might be leading it, but your piece of leadership is no different from any, everyone else's piece of leadership, right? Everyone's a leader. And the really, the thing that allows you to move in the same direction is not you being more powerful. It's you being willing to serve the needs of the group and everyone else also being willing to do that and walk together and offer their unique skills. So um, when you spot those people, encourage them in their own growth, ask them what are they passionate about and how do they think this serves the goals of the organization and then really be creative. So you have you have someone who, you know, loves basket weaving, right? Okay, how do you bring basket weaving into serving the well-being of the, of the company? I don't know, but I, I think it's possible. <laughs> Um, and then really share your vision. This is at this stage, share your vision, be vocal, ask them what they think about it, get feedback, involve them in the challenges you see. Um, and don't tell them that you have the right answer, but really offer up an opportunity for them to come into the space and offer their own concepts as well. And I just want to, the reason I chose this picture, um, I love this banner, football without fans is nothing. Um, and I don't know if anyone is familiar with the EPL. My dad is British and I was raised on it. Um, but it is a way of life. If you are British, even if you don't like football, and I'm talking about soccer, but, you know, in the British form, um, you know about it. And the people who are really into it, they, you, don't, you don't ever change clubs. Like, you are a supporter of that club for your life. And when you look at this, what I love about it is that if, if these fans were not in the stand, that team would be playing for, there would be no energy there. There would be no like um, camaraderie. There, they would just be playing a game. But the, because the fans show up and they support and they cheer and they engage, that makes this a group event that has so much energy, so much motivation. Um, and if you aren't familiar with the EPL, I really encourage you to like look up <laughs> EPL supporters because it's this kind of energy. We see this a little bit in the States with football. Um, but it is like nowhere near the kind of energy that goes into the EPL. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And I'm sure there's other things that are like this, but this is what came to my mind. Okay. So number two, once you've gained partisanship, next inspire management. And the crux of this 
is that managers at all levels need to be reminded that their work and their impact matters. And whether or not you're like at the bottom of the totem pole or you are the highest leader in the C-suite listening to this webinar, regardless, there is someone around you who needs to be encouraged that what they're doing matters and they have an impact. Um, and so this is a big piece of management, like managing up. And if you haven't read um, Cotter's managing, sorry, not Cotter, um, Peter Drucker's managing oneself, I highly encourage that. I don't, I think that he has some great ideas. I'm not like endorsing him as the be all end all of like management theory, but this particular article, he talks a lot about understanding how your management thinks and how it works and then how you can serve that and inspire that and work alongside it. And I really appreciate that because ultimately if you're a leader, you are serving. And we have got to remember that as leaders, we are serving the people around us. And that is a really special thing to be able to do. Um, so in, on top of this, passion is critical. Without passion for your people, your processes, and your product, you cannot inspire anyone. Why are you doing what you're doing? How do you share that with the people around you, specifically your management? How do you help them? How do you energize them? How do you, how do you just support what they're working for? And that's where this whole concept of doing something great comes in, because when you are inspiring people, so you've got your partisanship, you're inspiring your management, you are starting to pull towards something great and you can change the, the environment around you. So number three, use data with strategic intention. And what I mean by this is data is critical. And I know that we all know that in our heads. We're like, duh, you have to have data. But the number of decisions that are made based off of a feeling or a gut reaction is very high. I'm not going to throw out a statistic. I, I would like to challenge you to go and find that out and then see if you can challenge yourself to use data to make decisions. Um, and kind of the big thing with this is how do you tell a meaningful story with the data you have at your fingertips and using the right data to tell the right story? And I don't mean making things up and then twisting the data to prove your point. I mean, looking at what you have and then drawing reasonable, informed and educated conclusions from that data. And then using that with your management and your, your group of influence to support what you're doing. Next, kill them with kindness. I know this sounds stupid. We say it all the time. It's not a cliche. This is real life. And I mean this because ultimately, like going back to the roadblocks and the difficulty that we have in the work that we do you're always going to have dissenters. It's important to have them because they strengthen your platform. They poke holes in your argument that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. So you can be thankful for them and then you can be your best billboard. You walking the talk is really what is going to shift things in your company. It's going to be what encourages the people who are walking alongside you and brings people into a space where they want to be walking with you. Um, I'm also a writer and the first rule of writing as Mark can attest, is show, don't tell. Show me, don't tell me. And so as an example, this is a little bit silly, but I want to do it anyway. I'm going to read you two sentences, and I want you to kind of determine which one is more powerful, what tells you more about the context of what I'm saying. So first sentence, Susie walked slowly down the road. Second sentence, Susie walked down the road, her head bent at a crude angle as she studied the snail on its path beside her. So you can kind of think about that. Point is, if I'm showing you about Susie, that tells you a lot more about her as a person and what she's doing and she's inquisitive and whatever than the first sentence that she walks slowly. She might just be, she might have a broken ankle. I don't know. So the point is when you're in this situation, really challenge yourself 
to be kind and to show people why what you're doing matters. Okay, so finally, keep your eyes peeled. And this goes back to the whole concept of looking at problems as inspiration and opportunities, um, looking at change as an ally and a friend, um, because if you keep your eyes peeled, you will start to notice that no two opportunities look alike. And if you can kind of deal with a thing in yourself that wants to react the second you see a problem and say, okay, we're not going to react. We're going to, we're going to look at this for, from a different angle. You will start to see where they're so unique and they're so beautiful in that unique aspect. And so what I love about these pictures is that you've got these giraffes that are so, um, I mean, they're built to go and reach tall things, right? But these giraffes are reaching in impossible ways, right? Like they are going out of their way to do something difficult because they're like, that leaf is the leaf I want. That's the opportunity right in front of me. Um, determine where you need to reach next and find the avenue to do it. And really, this is where I would encourage you to go back to looking at your data and kind of see what is the data saying and how can, how can we allow that to lead us to our next opportunity? The other thing is planning is really critical. Um, I, I can't tell you if these giraffes made a plan here, but for us humans in this scope, planning is really needed and things rarely go according to plan, but the prep work can keep you from digging a huge hole. So on top of those things, so those are your five kind of pieces of, um, I suppose, the trajectory of how you bring people into the space as you're, as you're making this cultural shift in your foundation of your company, and then some advice as you're doing this. And this is overarching. This is for dealing with yourself. This is for dealing with everyone else. There's two pieces. Number one, timing is critical. Um, this came to my attention about two and a half years ago when I realized that I saw opportunities all around me. But I started to understand that if I wasn't ready, if my team wasn't ready, and if my organization wasn't ready, it wasn't really an opportunity. It just might. It might be an opportunity in six months or three years. But if all of those pieces weren't aligned the opportunity wasn't ripe. And I didn't want to pick a piece of fruit off of a tree if I wasn't going to be able to eat it, right? It's, I don't know if anyone is familiar with fruit trees, but um, I've got a pear tree in my yard. And um, when we first it first started producing fruit, I picked the first pear that looked yellow and it was not ripe, like you can say. So <laughs> I just really, really resonate with that. And then with this, how can you tell? And this really is for you to go and look. How do I know I'm ready? How do I know everyone on my team is ready? And how do I know my organization is ready? Sometimes you can go and ask people out, right? Sometimes you just kind of need to keep your ear to the ground. Sometimes you need to just go observe and see what are the pieces that need to be in alignment for me to know that the timing is right for this. Second piece of advice, communicate. And I know that this is like overdone. Everyone's like, oh, you have to communicate, but I mean it. Over communication is just a huge thing that changes working with people. Help them know your vision, help them connect with your vision. And then go ask people if they understand. Even if you think they understand, go ask them. Find out, you know, this is along the lines of the whole go to the Gemba concept, like go ask, find out. Okay, so finally um, with this talk, I did wanna give you some tools that I found really helpful. The first one is Kata, and um, I've got this in my resources slide, but this is a scientific method-based process improvement tool. It's so helpful, especially if you're working with people on the line. Um, it's simple and easy and you get quick and tangible results. So if anyone's interested in that, there's a website. I'd also love to talk about it if anyone has questions. And then the other thing is, are you connected with your state's lean network? I um, was shocked when I joined Colorado's lean network. That is very small. 
Um, and it's a really great place for like-minded professionals. It will challenge you. You will probably meet people from different industries, but that's part of what makes our field so rich is seeing how continuous improvement is applied in lots of different places. Okay, and then so resources, um, the Shingo model for operational excellence, tribal leadership, why change fails. I'm sure everybody knows that one. Managing transitions, setting strategic priorities. This is an article on how do you decide what to work on and then caught it in the classroom, which is what I just mentioned. So um, these are things I found so so insightful, so inspiring as I've kind of worked through different things in my own career. And then summary, don't be afraid to take meaningful risks. I mean, calculated risks, not just like, oh, I guess we'll go like do something crazy today because we need to take a risk. Everyone else, we went through those five, to ten, those five areas, timing and then communication. Um, and so finally, my contact information is in the slides. I'd love to hear from you. I'm so excited to hear what this journey looks like for everyone. And it's all so different and so cool. So please hit me up. Um, and then now it's time for questions. So let's get to it. Yeah, thank you, Taryn. Oh, yeah. And while, I'm sorry? Sorry, the slide said announcements. I thought it was q and well, as we'll do a couple of quick announcements while we're um, allowing questions to continue uh, coming in. So before announcements, I was just going to comment real quickly. I want to second what you say about local lean groups. Um, you know, the Iowa Lean Consortium comes to mind. There's a group uh, called the Massachusetts Lean Hospital Network. And even where I am in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we have... Um, kind of an informal group called Lean DFW. If anyone on the webinar um, is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can go on LinkedIn and search um, within groups for Lean DFW, because I, I agree that that collaboration is really powerful. Okay. So um, first thing, uh, let me talk about upcoming webinars. So if you are um, a Kinexus customer, the next Kinexus training team office hours, also known as the Banna and Rippy show. The next one is going to be on August 29th. The next, um, well, I, I should also mention, I should have put it on the slide. Oh, if you can go back, sorry. Right. Um, Greg Jacobson, our CEO, and I are going to do another Ask Us Anything episode on September 3rd. And the next presentation webinar uh, is going to be done. I'm, I'm partnering up with another Mark, Mark Valenti. I, I think he's really gonna be the primary presenter from Highmark Health. And that's gonna be titled Ambivalence to Action, Leadership Lessons from Motivational Interviewing. And that's gonna be on September 15th. That's open to all. If you wanna register for those or ask us anything, you can do that um, at, right after this webinar by going to kinexus.com slash webinars. I wanna tell you about some other resources. You can find all of our past webinars in the Continuous Improvement Webinars on Demand library. You can find that. There's a link on the right-hand side of kinexus.com slash webinars. And also want to tell you about our blog. There's all kinds of interesting stuff posted there if you go to blog.kinexus.com. And then finally, want to remind you about our podcast. You will be able to find audio of um, today's webinar if you want to revisit what Taryn shared uh, or, or share that with others. It'll be in the podcast feed. We just released an episode this morning uh, with one of our Kinexus team members, Matt Banna. We're uh, starting a new little mini series called Why Did You Join Kinexus? So um, 
invite you to check those out. You can subscribe in all of the usual podcast places or go to kinexus.com slash podcasts. Okay, so then we'll um, go to the last Q&A slide, which uh, also has um, Taryn's um, contact info. You can see her website, uh, tbd-strategies.com. Okay, so here's one question that says, um, let's see here, it's more of a comment maybe for you to react to. I'm interested in the idea of fear as the enemy. I probably can't really force my fear to not be there, but you're saying that listening to my fear, using it as my guide is the problem, the ship I need to burn. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's great. So, um, so the concept of fear as an enemy, and actually, could you read the beginning of that one more time? I want to make sure I'm addressing it. Yeah, so I'm interested in the idea of fear as the enemy. I probably can't force my fear to not be there. Okay, yeah, so no. And this is the thing. Fear itself is human. It is okay to be scared, okay. but what's not okay is when we allow our fear to drive our decisions. And the reason is because, and this goes back to the whole concept of using data with intent, strategic intent specifically, is that if you're afraid, you're not going to be able to look at the data because you're going to make the data say things that it doesn't necessarily say because you're afraid. So the whole concept there is not to be like, oh, I see that fear. Never mind. I'm not afraid. That's not the point. The point is more to be aware of it and then see if when you bring in the data or whatever else, is that fear impacting the decisions that need to be made? Mm -hmm. And this is really just a piece, I think, of self-awareness more than anything else. Um, because, and I'm going to go out on a limb here but and say, I don't know that personally I've ever seen good decisions come of yeah. fear. Like a basis of fear does not yield decisions that are good for everyone because well, they're just reactive. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add, I mean, if you look at what happens when we're afraid, and, and I totally agree, fear is a natural um, response, but the fight or flight instinct kicks in. To your point, um, good decisions tend not to happen when we're afraid because that um, fight or flight instinct like literally shuts down our um, you know, creativity and, and higher order thought process. Right. Um, we're just in survival mode. Um, well, one book uh, I, I really like and I recommend on, on this topic, there's a book called Mastering Fear by uh, Robert Moore. He's a, a psychologist and professor at UCLA. And, and he makes the point that um, the best thing that we can do when we're afraid is to admit it and to ask yeah. somebody for help. And he talks about how children naturally do this. Like kids are not afraid to say, I'm afraid. As we get older, we're somehow kind of conditioned to believe like, well, being afraid means you're weak and you better not admit that. Especially in stop. Yeah. Well, because yeah, like, a lot of times leaders don't want to seem vulnerable, right? Right, right. Um, there's another question here. Uh, I like what you said about intelligent risks. And it makes me think about the idea that I was taught that taking small risks is a good way to help avoid big risks. What can you elaborate or share some thoughts on that? I love that um, on principle. And I do think what I really like about that is, um, and I think we do this every day, we're always taking small risks and it helps us practice for the big risks. I don't know that taking small risks 
can then make you never have to take big risks. And I, I suppose the way I'm understanding the question is that like, if you take lots of little small risks, then you can avoid big risks. And maybe that's true in some instances. And I would agree with that. Um, I, I do kind of think the bigger point is that if you're, if you're, if you're so aware of your environment and the problems and, and um, opportunities surrounding you, you can actually head off big risks by being willing to take the small risks. And maybe that's kind of what the, what the questioner was saying. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just to build upon that. I, I, I think there's an implication there. I've, I've heard it explained as, um, you know, small tests of change. If, if mm -hmm. we're afraid that a change might not work out instead of testing something all at once across the entire organization, if we can do a pilot, Right. in a certain area. That makes the risk smaller. Yes, absolutely. It might not eliminate that fear, but you know, the, the, the answer to the question of what's the worst that can happen mm -hmm. is maybe not as scary when it's done on a pilot basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I think to elaborate, that's one type of risk is definitely like, okay, we're going to pilot this. We're going to see what happens. That's definitely one. And then I think the other thing that this made me think of this question did was that if we're looking at a situation and we're like, okay, here's, here's little ways, maybe it's a process change or whatever. There's like little things we can be aware of and take a risk in for incremental improvement um, that maybe avoids the big risk of like, I don't know, the whole thing falls apart. It might be the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And then there's a follow-up comment here. There's a difference between taking a risk and taking a chance. Risk can be measured and to some degree mitigated. Thoughts on that? I love that. Um, um, I think that I would agree risk can be mitigated. Um, I do think just even the language there, what that suggests and implies to me is that a chance is something that is a feeling driven versus data driven. And that might be what you're saying in terms it can be mitigated because you can research it. You can understand it. Um, you can understand a risk, a chance you're kind of like, oh, I guess we'll see what happens, you know, and I would agree, like, I, I fully support understanding all of the information you have at your fingertips, you're never going to have all of it, and then taking a risk if you feel that it is the right time and everyone's ready, etc. Versus just willy nilly being like, I guess we have to try something. So let's try this, you know, that's kind of what taking a chance feels like to me. Well, I have time. I've got one other question here. How do we ensure buy-in? Can you share more about that? Awesome question. Okay. So number one, you will never get 100% buy-in. So you typically, um, you can get 80%. That's, that's kind of a, a number um, that if you do all of the right, right, quote unquote, right things, I, I will go, I, I won't go into that, but you can get 80%. And the biggest piece of getting buy-in is building relationship, number one. And that's why in this talk, we looked at you first, then we looked at build at other people, and then we looked at number one, gaining partisanship. The whole way you do that is building relationship with people. And the reason for this is because human beings are relational at our core, even, even people who are hermits or they, they're not really into like being with people they still need and desire relationship. And my dad is a perfect example of this. He is an environmental consultant and he's brilliant and he 
a lot of the time would prefer to work alone, but he loves those moments when he gets to be with people and they get this synergy going and that is relationship. So what I would say is um, guaranteeing buy-in, you can't guarantee hundred percent buy-in. And I, I am a little bit leery of saying that you can guarantee any buy-in because um, it really depends on how you go into the space and how you engage with the people. But I do think that if number one, your focus is serving the interests of the other person as a leader, like as a leader, you are serving the interests and serving the interests of the organization. That's number one. And then number two is really um, how do you engage with them on a personal level so that they know that there's more to it than just you serving your own interests. Um, People will be much more willing to engage in collaboration and bringing their full selves to the table. If they know that you're, you're looking out for them and you're looking out for the organization. And again, that is not hundred percent across the board, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I just feel like I have to make that disclaimer because we're dealing with human beings, but that's what I found to be really successful. Yeah. Um, then one other question. Um, thank you for sharing the burning ships story. We sometimes also hear uh, an uh, a analogy about a burning platform. Do you think there's differences, meaningful differences in the terminology? Yes. Um, So a burning ship is when you said, you know, this thing is really keeping us from moving forward. um, And we, we need to make it, we need to put a stake in the ground that we're not going to retreat from. We will not retreat. That's a burning ship. Like we're not going to get back on the ship and, and go and go back home. A burning platform is really more something that is engineered to generate sense of urgency and call global attention to a problem that needs to change. So a burning platform doesn't necessarily um, set direction or movement. It just says that something needs to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think... I think that's helpful. Um, so I got distracted by it hitting the top of the hour. So um, I'll go ahead and uh, wrap up the webinar. Um, Taryn, first off, thank you for uh, your presentation today. Thank you for um, addressing the questions. And I want to thank everyone who tuned in and uh, participated today. Um, Taryn, do you have a, a final thought you might want to leave uh, the audience with? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone who was able to participate. And I would like to just say that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're doing a great job and keep it up. It's hard work, um, but you are you are miles further down the road than you were a year ago or even a month ago. And you're growing. And I just I think it's so important to encourage each other professionally in that way, because we're doing hard work and it's important to acknowledge that. So keep going. Yes. As we say at Kinexus, uh, we talk about this analogy or parable of keep pounding the rock. We encourage everyone to do that. We're going to keep doing so at Kinexus. So um, thanks again, Taryn. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us today. And we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Excellent.